Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Friday evening, this 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time, where we have the opportunity to engage this uh, classic text that comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20, uh, Peter's confession of faith and his commissioning. Now, that being said, this is a narrative that I have already dealt with uh, in great detail. So what I want to do is direct your attention to two dates, March 11th and May 15th. So if you go to joeholcraft.org and go to my inventory of podcasts, scroll down to March 11th and May 15th. I'm sending you there because I don't want to have to uh, repeat everything. I thought there's so much more other subject matter we can treat this evening. So please go there and what you'll find between those two podcasts and and today's radio cast a a more complete picture of this great biblical text now it is friday evening which means i have debbie rosales joining me Uh, debbie is once again a parishioner over at saint john the baptist catholic church and a catechist for the rsa program over there so debbie it is great to have you with me another evening thank you for having me joe it is a great narrative So, Debbie, let's jump right in. You can get us going. Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And and so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly ordered his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Amen. Thank you, Debbie. So here we have a classic portrayal of one of the essential characteristics, Debbie, of a Christian revelation, namely that God chooses to select these broken human vessels to communicate his life, his truth, and his love. Just not in the New Testament, but also the Old Testament. One broken figure after another. It's most striking that God would select instruments that from man's standard would be the least expected. You know, I never miss an opportunity, Debbie, to uh, share a test that was given back in uh, May 22nd, the year 30 AD, because I think it really 
helps us to better understand how God works. God's ways are not our ways. Now, this is a, a letter to Jesus, son of Joseph, uh, Woodcrafter's shop in Nazareth from Jordan Management Consultants, Jerusalem. The subject is one of a staff aptitude test, again, dated uh, May 22nd, year of our Lord, 30 AD. The letter reads as follows. Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but have also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational consultant. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and gives in to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine team morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contact in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and innovative. We highly recommend to you Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Well... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I love that. (laughs) So uh, what's the idea here? The idea here is, again, God's ways are not our ways. We think we've grasped how uh, God works, and then he surprises us. Mm -hmm. In fact, everything about our faith, Debbie, is paradoxical. Certainly the cross, right? The icon of our faith is paradoxical. Where there's death, there's life. When you think you have come to understand all that is conventional about the Christian faith is only when you understand the Christian faith is unconventional, right? What God is doing when he picks the 12, he's reminding us that he's in control. Mm -hmm. We think we get it, but in the end, Debbie, unless we have totally and entirely emptied ourselves, unless we say in unison with the Baptist, may he increase as I decrease. Unless we say with St. Paul, it is no longer I living, but he who lives in me, have we come to understand the proper disposition of the Christian faith. And I love this because it highlights, this letter that is, it highlights our humanity. Yes. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable <laughs> and gives that. in to fits of temper. You know, one outrageous extreme after another is this uh, huge, towering, colossal figure of St. Peter. And yet, what is so striking is his weakness. Absolutely. You just read for us, Debbie, from Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. 
It was just a few chapters before, I think Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33, we read of Peter in his ardent love for Jesus Christ, walk on water. He walked on water. I often hear, well, it's not like he walked on water, speaking, you know, about Jesus Christ being the only person to walk on water. Fact of the matter is, Debbie, there was a time in history, a moment where another man walked on water. Yes. And this is a man, he's human, Mm. he's broken, he's weak, as we all are, yet he was aspiring to the supernatural. When his faith was wavering, he fell. But it gives us great hope. And just a few days ago, we were talking about Pope Francis. In many ways, Pope Francis reminds me of of St. Peter, not because he's constantly falling over himself, but because of the way in which Pope Francis wants to emphasize his humanity. Mm-hmm. He is uh, uh, the new St. Peter in so many ways. I, 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 I love it. I do too. I love it. So this passage for me is all about, uh, yes, God's uh, very unexpected ways of working, but also Peter's human ambitiousness. Peter is um, probably hands down one of my favorites in the New Testament, uh, among the disciples. <clears throat> I loved your word, hope. And to me, that is that is Peter. Mm. <laughs> he is the relatable apostle for us. Mm-hmm. You know, he speaks before he thinks. He's mm-hmm. a little rash, yeah. you know. A little? <laughs> 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 he's got a bit of a temper, yeah. you know. But he's he's got dirt under his nails, and he's hardworking. And you could just see him working in that fishing boat and and doing his best he's just a man's man kind of relatable guy yeah he's he's joe schmo yeah and that is important for us i think in our in our christianity and our walk is his humanness it's what is drawing so many people to pope francis it's his humanity his compassion his love all those things are found in peter we see that. It's not like we see him as a buffoon. We yeah. see him as someone who's in love. And in that love relationship, he's a little goofy sometimes, yeah. you know? Yeah. And we love that about him. It's not like we disrespect that. We finally say, in this man, I have someone to relate to. And in this man, after Pentecost, is this charismatic leader in the transformation of the Holy Spirit. And we're all like, hmm. Amen. And I'm glad you brought that up, Debbie, because it really is a striking point. So we talk about Peter in this way, these outrageous extremes. But the Peter Mm. in the Acts of the Apostles? Oh, man. Oh, man. Tell me about it. Mm. There's something to say about that unique relationship between being humble, so humble that you demand everyone's respect around you. And there is a charism that comes through. And what that charism is, is ultimately, when I speak, you will listen because humility is so unique, right? It's, it's what, again, embodies Pope Francis. It's interesting, Debbie, you noted, get your, your hands dirty, uh, what what was the line from the joy of the gospel? Get your shoes dirty. Mm-hmm. Know the smell of your sheep. Yeah. This is St. Peter, uh, literally and figuratively. That being said, Debbie, let us turn our attention to this narrative. Um, in particular, 
uh, these questions that our Lord asks. There's a fascinating study when you look closely into the exchange between just not Jesus and Peter, but Jesus and the 12, right? He asks two questions. Who do they say that I am? And who do you say that I am? Now, Debbie, you can read these series of verses, chapter 16, verses 13 to 20, and probably not think a whole lot about that. But anytime the God-man asks a question, it's time to hit the pause button. Why? Because it's not like God doesn't know the answer to the questions. It's not like God has experienced some kind of a short-term amnesia. Or in this case, who do they say that he am? Like he's concerned about winning a popularity contest, right? You get around some young girls and what did he think of me? Or what did she think of me? What's going to... That's not what God is doing. What he is doing, what Jesus Christ is doing, is he's employing classic rabbinical pedagogy. That is to say... As a master teacher, as a Jewish rabbi, what he wants us to do is have his listening audience, those who were there, the 12, to take ownership of what is going on. So he says, who do they say that I am? And they say, well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or maybe one of the prophets. And then he says, who do you say that I am? It's almost as if he wants the confusion as the backdrop, the the confusion of all of those uh, anonymous people out there. What are they saying about me? That's the backdrop for the next question. Who do you say that I am? You see, I can only imagine Jesus saying something like, I can get over the fact that those who are not in my circle, those who are not familiar with me, might think that I'm the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah. But you, who lived by my side day by day, who ate with me, who drank with me, who slept with me, who watched my miracles, you, Debbie, who know the contours of my face, who know the inflection and tone of my voice, who know the smell of my skin and my hair, who do you say that I am? That's different. That's different. And why is it different? For you and I, Debbie, and for anyone who God calls to work in the vineyard, he's asking us that question each and every day. Do you belong to the world or do you belong to me? Right? Do you want to blend in or do you want to be set apart? And Peter gives his confession of faith. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. When you translate that from the Greek, it's fascinating. The God who is life, the God who is life giving the master and carpenter of the universe who first breathed life into man thousands of years ago. That's who you are. You are the one who is life-giving. What does he say in, in, in the gospel of John? Where else shall we go? Right? right? Mm-hmm. So in this confession of faith, what he teaches us ultimately is that if we are going to walk with God, the way in which God calls us to walk with him, we need to acquire that interior attitude of faith that lends itself to when we are asked that question by our Lord, who do you say that I am? 
we reply as Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Christos, the anointed one, the son of the living God. This, I believe, is what really undergirds uh, these series of verses. We are made to see that Jesus is doing something. As master rabbi, as master teacher, he wants us to take ownership of what we believe. He knows. We've said it before, Deb. (laughs) Christ is asked over 300 questions in the Gospels. And on only three occasions, he doesn't answer the question with an answer, right? Mm -hmm. He's constantly answered the question with a question. He's king of the... Q and Q. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's Sherry Waddell, right? I think she talks about that. That's right. Yeah. Why? Because in this way, we are made to take ownership of of the very thing that we are we are uh, inquiring about. Well, and what does a question make us do? It makes us think. And mm-hmm. he's thank you, Jesus, for this because that's exactly as you know. We were preparing for these readings last night as I'm sitting in adoration. It was Debbie, who do you say that I am? Mm-hmm. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't Joe. It was me. Mm-hmm. Who? And every time there's a question like this in the gospel, insert your name. Mm-hmm. He's, mm-hmm. he's asking you. He's asking me personally as our Savior, as our brother. Who do you say that I am? Spend some time reflecting on that. Mm-hmm. And discerning that who is jesus in your life amen and you know debbie we are called also to ask that first question who do they say that jesus is Mm. who do i say that jesus is you know there's another insight to be gained as we talk about these two questions who do they say that i am and who do you say that i am by taking these two questions and putting them next to each other It is in the contrast that we can gain a deeper appreciation of what Jesus wants us to see. I mean, I can look at a white picture and be able to name it white and appreciate its whiteness. But if you put that white picture against the backdrop of a black wall, suddenly that white becomes more pronounced and we look at that white picture differently. Okay, When our Lord gives us this backdrop of the anonymous people out there and who do they say that I am? It goes back to what you were just saying, Debbie. It lends itself to a more critical thought and consequently a more critical ownership of the question itself and ultimately in this case, our relationship with Jesus Christ. We can put it another way. It's as if he says, now that you know that there's a lot of confusion out there, are you confused? Hmm? And it's interesting, as we talk about confusion, remember, uh, one of the names that Satan takes up literally translates confusion, right? So uh, he's asking us, are you confused? And of course, Peter offers up his great confession of faith. And I wanted to draw from the wonderful theologian, um, Mary Caucus. Uh, You have heard me speak of him before. He is really uh, the authority on the Gospel of Matthew. And this is what he has to say, and I love it, Debbie, uh, in his commentary on his Blessed Are You, Simon Barjona, for my Father has revealed this to you. He says this, 
Yet another beatitude is here proclaimed by Jesus when he declares Peter blessed for having received this grace from the Father. He is declared blessed for being attentive to God's revelation, for having allowed himself to be invaded by the Holy Spirit who reveals the truths of God in our heart, and for not relying for essential interior knowledge on the mere evidence of the senses or on hearsay or on his own powers of intuition or on his political desires for the liberation of Israel from the Romans. Now, what is he talking about there, Deb? Now, what were we talking about earlier as it relates to conventional wisdom versus unconventional wisdom? True wisdom is the embodiment of just letting go. He goes on to say, these are all things Peter had to renounce in order to hear the voice of God within him. Very specifically, the blessedness that Jesus sees in Peter's soul is the result of Peter having received new life from the Father, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. It's as if there in Matthew 16, he wants to come full circle, that is Jesus Christ, to what he offered uh, to us on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That is the foundational beatitude for all other beatitudes because that is the beatitude that is essentially in lockstep with that blessedness that Mary Caucus is talking about as it relates to Peter. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma, lung, breath, air. Okay, so the idea there again is uh, blessed are those who long for God the same way our lungs long for air. It's this permanent state of being. Your hands raised up. We talked about a, a little bit about this before in other programs, Debbie. So important because this is what uh, Peter emulates, mm -hmm. this disposition. Amidst all of his rambunctiousness, mm -hmm. his rash behavior, we have a man who is disposed to serve God in spite of himself. Mm -hmm. And again, that's why we love him. Oh, it is. And I love what Mary Caucus said about how Jesus saw the blessedness mm -hmm. in Peter. He saw the blessedness. He didn't see the smelly fisherman. He didn't see the man who would deny him. Mm -hmm. He said, no, in this man, I see blessedness. It's what our Lord calls us to do in each other. Amen. Right? Amen. We need to look for their blessedness. That's right. He looks into the soul and sees the potential of the yet unseen. It's interesting. When our Lord says, do not judge, you know, in Matthew 7, 1, what he's saying is, do not judge what you do not see. Absolutely. And he goes on to say, take the plank out of your own eye, then judge. And the idea there is once you are pure, once you see as God sees, what are you going to do? You're going to see the potential, the potential of the life within. And that potential is the Holy Spirit. That potential is the way in which we are all created in the image and likeness of God and how we are all wired, wired for truth. Judge what you see, but when you judge the way you are called to judge, what you see again is, is the potential of the yet unseen, the potential of what we can all do when we have a new, as Mary Caucus speaks to it there, a new life in Christ. And that is so important. You know, Debbie, Peter just teaches us so much about our faith. 
and what it means to be the best version of who God is calling us to be. He reminds us quite clearly that no matter what we've done, we can do better, that we are better than our worst, that that truth, that no matter what we've done, no matter what sin we've committed, there is still greatness on the horizon if we reconcile with God. I mean, is this not what Peter teaches us? He denied God three times. Exactly. I mean, there's the exchange, you know, these, these people around the fire, they, they hear this Galilean guttural language and they're like, uh, you mm-hmm. were with him. You were mm-hmm. with him. And no, 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 no. No, I wasn't. When you stop to think about that, it's just so striking because have we not denied God? Sure. Have we not denied God? I mean... What do we do every time we sin? Mm-hmm. Right, right. You know, and, and so again, it's just so important, Debbie, to see to see St. Peter as someone who offers us hope, but also going back to something you said earlier, because I think it's so important, as someone who, who in all of that rambunctiousness and rashness, again, was very humble, and ultimately his charism comes out from that. Ultimately, those who are around him were drawn to him because of how the power of the Holy Spirit lived in him and led him to his sanctity and holiness. Debbie, as we talk about the importance of humility, I cannot help but think of that great story that comes to us from the church fathers, where on record, one of the church fathers is talking about a mystic. And the mystic claims to have seen Satan. And he begins to uh, describe what he sees. And it kind of gives you the chills when he's talking about it, but he says the figure had no knees, oh. had no knees wow. because he, bend. no, he could not bend, right? The, the anawim of God, the poor of God, the Hebrew for anawim is bent over. Satan does not know poverty. Satan does not know the first beatitude. Satan does not know of this blessedness that Mary Caucus was talking about. What he knows, what he possesses is superior knowledge, but not wisdom. Because wisdom starts on bending knee. I'm just taken by um, the whole, we have these two stories of denial, Peter and Judas. Yeah. Mm. And Peter, it is his humility that saves him from death. Amen. It's his humility. Maybe in shame, he wasn't at the uh, passion and mm-hmm. death. He was, he, was, he was ashamed. Yeah. He was ashamed. And haven't we all been ashamed? Exactly. <laughs> but he did not let that keep him from the resurrection. Amen. And how Judas's absence of humility maybe yes. led him to... led to death. Yep. Yep. Striking. And Peter to life. Mm-hmm. Amen, Debbie. That's a striking juxtaposition. And it kind of brings us back to that initial reflection um, in that letter, right? Uh, Peter was a man of what? resourcefulness, showing great potential, a man of ability, meets people well, so on and so forth. You can have all those things, but if you do not have humility as the foundation of what you do, then you have nothing. And on that note, Debbie, let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.